And now, another timely and powerful message from Pastor Emmanuel Williams and Imitators of God Ministries, Colossal Vivacious Church in Tallahassee. Today is Pentecost Sunday, and and I'm just so happy for Pentecost, right? Uh, Had it not been for Pentecost, I don't think I would be standing here right now. Amen. Amen? So let's turn our Bible, our text is taken from Acts 2, 1 to 4. Acts 2, 1 to 4. And it reads, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I feel led to let's jump to verse 6. Now when this noise were abroad, the multitudes came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we, every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? And they were all amazed, and they were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth these? Others mocking, saying, These men are full of wine. Now as it relates to the day of Pentecost, we must be made absolutely aware of the critical need of the Spirit as he was given on the day of Pentecost. As we read in Acts 2, it could be a grievous mistake for us to think that the giving of the, whole, of the Spirit was somehow some kind of added, added bonus or second blessing to the church. This is not the way to read Acts 2. In the entire book of Acts, if we are very familiar, for those of, uh, that are ministers, it's a very powerful book. Mm-hmm. Amen? And what you're reading is a critical redemptive event that had to take place. And this event was nothing less than the ushering in of a new messiah age. The era of the spirit. That's when the church was born. One commentary said on the book of Acts says, Without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship, discipleship would be inconceivable. Even impossible. There can be no life without the life giver. No understanding without the spirit of truth. And we know that Jesus Christ is the spirit of truth, right? No fellowship without the unity of the spirit. No Christ likeness or character apart with his fruits and no effective witness without his power as a body without breath. So the church within the spirit without the spirit is dead. We need the Spirit of God in the church. So what happened on the day of Pentecost is absolutely critical, absolutely vital, absolutely necessary for the life and mission of the church. Okay, I'm going to say that again. What happened on the day of Pentecost is absolutely critical for us Christians. Absolutely vital, very important, 
absolutely necessary for the life and the mission of the church. Acts 2.1 says that from our text, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord. Now we need to realize that the whole event of Acts 2, every single detail has Old Testament echoes, right? Even the little tiny detail of the event, each one of those details have Old Testament echoes. And we need to understand as a body of Christ what it is against the Old Testament versus the New Testament in terms of Pentecost. So the phrase, the day of Pentecost was fully come, mean the sun was completely risen. The first day of the week, and probably we would say Sunday, right? Right? The Feast of Pentecost needs to be understood in order to see God's providence at work. Pentecost, and I'm giving a little history, Pentecost was celebrated 50 days after the Passover. It was also known as the day of the first fruits in Numbers 28-26, or the Feast of Weeks in Exodus 34-22, or the Feast of the Harvest, right? We're just giving a little background about Pentecost. Pentecost was a glorious day of celebration. In other words, it wasn't as dead as we are there just sitting. There was jubilee. There was celebration. A day when the people were to hip, hip praise and thanksgiving unto God. There were three particular reasons for which they were to thank God. But we have so many reasons, church, why we have to give God thanks and why we have to give God glory for this particular day. Number one, the harvest of the fields. Not the very name of the feast says that it was a celebration of the first fruit. It was celebrated the first fruits of the harvest when it began. In other words, they, they, it was probably in the first of June for which they were giving God thanks for their fruits. And how many of us, I'm just taking it home, can say thank you God for a job. Thank you, God, for life. So they were thanking God for their first fruits. That's why my first fruits, which is what? When I get my money, our money, we give tithes and offering. This is our first fruit of the month. And so, number two, Exodus, the deliverance of the nation of Israel from Egypt. You remember that they were the children of Israel was in bondage, right? And they were giving thanks for that day for the deliverance because they, are no, they were no longer slaves. Number three, the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. You remember when Moses went on Mount Sinai and what did he do? God gave him the Ten Commandments. You remember, it was the law. And so they were giving God thanks for his law, for the rules and the principle he had given them to govern the nation. And we just have to say, thank you, God. I always tell God, thank you. Thank you for the Old Testament and thank you for the New Testament. Thank you for the word. And so, Pentecost is a, trans is a transliteration of the Greek word, which means Pentateuchs, right? Pentateuchs. Can I speak Greek? And the Pente means five. And the Pentateuchs, which is the five books, where we start, right? Of the Old Testament, it also means the five books which literally means 50 because the feast is to, uh, is to take place annually 
every 50 days after Passover. Pentecost is used only three times in the New Testament, twice in Acts and once in Corinthians. Now, remembering everything that happened in the Old Testament was a shadow pointing to the reality of Jesus Christ. What I want to do is to show how the Feast of Pentecost in the Old Testament correlates to the New Testament. Amen? So the foreshadowing of the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of First Fruits, or the harvest, as the, as the feast is commonly called, is going to have an ultimate fulfillment that goes way beyond grain. Remember I said earlier, they were thanking God for the first fruit. The first fruit was the grain, right? That was one of the reasons, right? They were thanking God. And so Luke says that the day was fully come. It was referring to the dawning of a new era. Amen? Amen. The spirit would come and would fulfill that which the Jews had celebrated in 1500 years. So let's look at the, at the phrase, they were all in one accord. I know a lot of times when we say they were in one accord, doesn't mean that you cannot have your personality. But we are going to show just a little bit of how they were in one accord. Luke does not tell us the place, but we would think, some commentators think, that it was the upper room in which Jesus celebrated the Last Supper with his disciple. Some others people think that it was the temple, right? It, or it was a home. But they said that it, they were in one accord. The Bible tells us that this is the 120 where they were all gathered in one place. In other words, they were continuing in the mode of prayer and to be obedient to what Jesus told them that they had to do, right? To wait in Jerusalem. So they were united in mind and they were united in purpose. And you see in the church, that's what we have to do. We have to be united in one mind, in one purpose, so that the kingdom of God, so that what he said to move on can move on. And so in verse 2 reads from our text, and suddenly, so the Holy Ghost came suddenly, he came abruptly, he came unexpectedly. And as I was reading that, I was thinking about when Paul and Silas was in prison. How Jesus Christ has come suddenly, right? They said, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. So in verse 2 and 3, we see two things that are rooted in the Old Testament revelation. And that is fire and that is wind. I know a lot of times you all have heard different preaching of how the Pentecost has been preached. But the Lord laid it on my heart a different way so we can understand the importance of the Old Testament. How it transfers to the New Testament in light of Pentecost. And both of these fire and wind always depicted what we call a fee of a theophany which is the appearance of god for example when the wind came on mount sinai or fire it was a representation that god 
came near. So let us stop and let us consider that, right? All the different Old Testament examples, because there are so many Old Testament examples. But the idea here is that it was an incredible sound. And I could just imagine that sound, right? There was must, some people, some commentators said it was like a thunder, okay? Um, a mighty rushing wind. And, and, and on one commentator by the name of Dr. McGee said, it sounded like a tornado. And I believe that all Jerusalem could hear it since it was described as a noise. And as a violent, they say it's as a violent rushing wind. It is possible that it was heard outside the room where they were, and this accounted for the crowd. Remember, there was a celebration going on. So you can imagine the celebration that normally happens in Tallahassee. The crowd, the crowd was very thick. And so they were celebrating Pentecost. But when they heard that sound, it drew them closer to where the apostles were. But why wind? Because wind represents the spirit of God in the Old Testament. The term rack means breath, wind, or spirit. And so the spirit comes, when the spirit comes, he always comes with some incredible power. Because he's the wind of God, he's the breath of God. And so when he comes in our life, there's always some sort of demonstration or something to signify the Holy Spirit is always there. So let's stop and consider in terms of the Old Testament picture. When we first see the Spirit of God, the breath of God. So we saw that in Genesis 1, 1 to 2. And I believe Apostle E talked, spoke about that on Friday, if you were there. He spoke about uh, Genesis 1, 2, when he, the Holy Spirit was hovering over the surface of the earth. And we can read that in Genesis 1, 1 to 2. He said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. He was hovering over the face of the water, waiting for God to speak. Since he's the creative power, right? And the creative presence of the living God. Understand the word breath are tightly connected. Very tightly connected. And so the spirit is operative and active in the work of creation. And we can see that when breath, rah of God, the breath of God, as in Ezekiel 37. You remember the story of the dry bones, right? And it's no longer the spirit hovering like we saw in Genesis 1, 1 to 2. 1 to 2 which, and, and now the Holy Spirit, which is formless and void, but now is the spirit that goes forth like a mighty wind. And what he's saying, he's operating over the dry bones. You remember the story, the valley of the dry bones. During what? What does it did? It did, it brought resurrection life to the people of God. And you remember when the prophet opened his mouth, there was dry bones. And he said, can these dry bones leave? And the dry bones came alive. That's right. And so we have the spirit of God as the wind of God, the breath of God, as it was the creator and recreator. Amen. 
And so we see the same rushing wind on the day of Pentecost. This mighty rushing wind. And it came upon the people of God. Can you imagine we just being in the church? Being in one accord, one mind. And all of a sudden we have one purpose. Different life. Can you believe that? And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God just hope just came upon us, and we all started being in one mind, one accord, one everything as God has promised us. So the so we see a mighty rushing wind on the day of Pentecost. That mighty rushing wind comes upon the people of God, and we see a new creation happening. There's a new error. That's been ushered in God. God's people that were being restored, resurrect, resurrected as if it was a new life under a new covenant. That, that, that was some power. The Bible says that this noise filled the whole house where they were. And the Greek tense is explicit. It wasn't something that they were just imagining. It was something that was profound. They heard the noise. One commentator said the sound of the Spirit filled the whole house and they were sitting just as the glory of the Lord had filled the tabernacle, the temple. The Spirit was consecrating a new sanctuary in which God would dwell among his people. And it took place where the wind was and there was tongues of fire. Now again, notice the language very carefully in verse 3. It says, And there appeared unto them cloven tongues as of fire, and it sat upon each one of them. Cloven fires. Cloven tongues like fires. I read many commentators, right, when I was preparing the sermon. And Dennis Johnson, a commentator, suggests that what that must have rested upon each of the disciples in the upper room was actually little miniature pillars of fire, which could possibly could be the idea of what really took place that day. But what fire represents is just like wind is part of the appearance of God. The appearance of God. Fire represents God's presence, God's holiness, and oftentimes God's judgment, but sometimes God's grace, right? So in the book of Exodus, God manifested to Moses as a fire that is not a consuming fire. He did not consume the bush. God continues to reveal himself to his people as a pillar of fire to lead them through the wilderness. Amen? And so now that particular fire, the fire of the burning bush, was a manifestation of God's immediate presence. The fire of pillar in the wilderness was a manifestation of God's gracious presence with his people, guiding them and directing them. And so what happened on the day of Pentecost is that these tongues of fire being distributed in death rested upon each one in the room. Not one of them was left out. Not one of them. So the Bible says in the Passion Bible it reads, then all at once, a pillar of fire appeared before their eyes. So they saw it too, right? It didn't just appear. A lot of times they say it appeared above their heads. No, they saw that fire. And it was separated in the tongues of fire that engulfed them. And so while I was reading, I was thinking that why does Luke go into such detail about that? Because in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, the Spirit of God did not come upon or dwell in them 
to the believers, right? It was some of them that had the Holy Spirit and some didn't. Only a few. In fact, Moses expressed the desire in Numbers 11, verse 29. And let's go to here. Numbers 11, 29. And he said, I wish, I just, I'm just taking a phrase of that. He said, I wish that all the, the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. So in other words, not all of them had the spirit of them dwelling inside of them. Amen. So each one is the revelation of a new covenant phenomenon that each and every person in the covenant would be a recipient of the spirit of God. But when the day of Pentecost came, each one of them had the spirit of God. Each one of them. So in, you remember in Matthew 3, 11 and Luke 3, 11, John the Baptist said that when Jesus came, he would baptize them in the Holy Ghost with fire. The symbol of the tongue of fire is simply that it was, it could, it was foretold already what Jesus was already going to do. And so we see that when the Holy Spirit comes upon an individual, what it does, right? We saw an example of that empowerment in the Old Testament. And it was recorded in 1 Samuel 10.6. And in 1 Samuel 10.6 it says, And the Spirit of the Lord, it talks about um, David, some, Saul, And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with thee, and thou shalt be turned into another man. So notice Saul was turned into another man after being employed by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit transformed us, right? He transformed us into a different person. Another person. So in, the whole, in, the, in, in our text, the Holy Spirit took a group of fishermen, uneducated individuals, and transformed them. The Holy Spirit can do anything inside of us. Even when we do not feel secure in our own strength, or we feel insignificant. Some of us feel insignificant. We feel scared to carry out the gospel. We feel that somebody is not honoring our gift. The Holy Spirit is going to do that. He's already done that. And that's what he did for those individuals. So in our text, the Holy Spirit took a group of fishermen, prostitutes, religious leaders, tax collectors, and various family members, and he transformed them. So before Pentecost, they were scared, they lacked faith, they did not fully understand God's plan. But after Pentecost, they were emboldened. They went preaching the gospel. They went speaking God's truth. They went healing people. Why? Because they had the Holy Ghost. They did not fully understand God's plan. And that's what's happened to some of us. When we do not fully understand God's plan, we have to trust him. Amen. We have to trust him. Not man, but trust God. First John 2.20 says, But we have an unction from the Holy One. And he knows not some things, but all things. So after Pentecost fell, they become bold. We as children of God, we have to become bold in this world that we are living in. Amen. We are seeing so many things even on the internet, even on Facebook, social media. And they are not scared to be bold about a false God. I was remembering my nephew 
my, my nephew is seven years old. And he was telling me that, you know, his friend is no longer coming to his house to play with him. I said, why? He said he's an Indian. And I tell him about God. And because I tell him about God, his mom said, I cannot play with him. Now, my seven-year-old will be here next month. And my husband's son can testify. This little boy is a firecracker for the Lord. He said he wants to be a demon chaser. What else he said? What's, he wants to be a teacher, a demon chaser. What else he said? And a prophet. And when he is speaking and when he's um, uh, praying, he tells my husband to say, come on, prophet. That's what he said. But he said, I had to proclaim and tell the little boy about Jesus Christ. So I say all this to say that the Holy Spirit is inside of us. And we have to be bold as believers to proclaim what God said to do. In spite of the odds against us. And so, what is that power? John 14, 16 to 17 says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. That's the Holy Spirit. That he may abide with us forever. Even the spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive. Because it seeth him not. Neither knoweth him. But he know him for he dwelleth with us. And he shall be with us. And in us. Give us power. So verse 4 says. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. See, we cannot do anything by ourselves. See, if we do anything, I know I have tried it. And when I start to do things by myself, I fail miserable. Because I need God's grace every day. So you look at, in Acts 2.4, it is not completely clear who the day they were referring to. Okay? But we are assuming... They were referring to those that were in the upper room. Amen. And because Jesus commanded them, he said, not to depart from Jerusalem. So we could only assume those disciples, right? He said, do not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For he said, John, you remember we said that John truly baptized you with water. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And speak with tongues. So it's very possible that others or all the believers who were present in the upper room spoke in tongues. All spoke in tongues. And we can account to that in when Peter gave his sermon in Acts 2.14. You remember that? Acts 2.14. It said, and he quoted Joel... 228 to 29 and it says and it came to pass after that that i will pour out my spirit on all flesh your sons and daughters will prophesy your young men shall dream dreams your youngest men shall see visions and also on my men servants and on my maid servant i will pour out my spirit on those that was a prophecy in the old testament that became a reality in the New Testament. And so he interpreted, Peter interpreted this outpouring of the Holy Ghost upon servants and maidservants as being all the people who was present. And so since let me just encourage you to let you know that when God gave you a mandate, we cannot be scared to carry it out. We cannot be nervous. 
We cannot be looking at other people and say, well, you know, we cannot do it. We cannot say, okay, well, God has, and we, I, am not, I don't have a title, so I cannot carry it on. Yes, when God has given you a speech, you need to speak it out. Okay. So let me mention from the text four points that will help us about the feeling of the Holy Ghost. See, a lot of times we get confused about the feeling of the Holy Ghost. I used to be confused about the feeling of the Holy Ghost. But number one, the feeling of the Holy Ghost was subsequent to the born again believers. An unsaved cannot have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them. John 14, 17 says, The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor know him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and be, will be in you. And Paul later revealed that in Romans 10, 9, and he says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. So you have to confess. Somebody have to confess Jesus as the Lord and Savior of their life. And I know a lot of times we have people saying that we, they are saved. Have not made a confession. You have to open your mouth. Isn't that what the words say? You have to confess. So these disciples, they had already done that. John 20, 28 specifically talked about Thomas when he was kneeling at the resurrection of Jesus. You remember that? And he confessed that Jesus was Lord. Yes, he confessed that. And so the same spirit that is in them is in us right now. We have that power. We just are scared to use it. We have that authority. We have that boldness. So therefore, therefore it's possible to be saved and yet not be baptized of the Holy Spirit that Jesus spoke. A lot of people say, well, can I be saved and don't have that Holy Spirit? But, but look at what John, if we go to John 7, 37 to 39, what does it say? John 7, 37 to 39. He said in the last days, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and Christ said, if any man first, let him come unto me and drink. He that is there another part of that? He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his bellies shall flow rivers of living water. Living water. So since the Holy Spirit has been given and we do not have to tarry for his coming, we can receive salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit at the same time. But it is not automatic. We must ask and receive. Matthew 7, 7 says that. What does Matthew 7, 7 says? Ask and you shall receive. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. So all we have to do is ask him. That's what he says that we have to do. We cannot be scared. Amen. We have to open our mouth. Amen. We have to tell him what we want. Yes, and point number two, in Acts 2.4, speaking in tongues is unique to the church Amen. age. This is because when we believe a speaking tongue, our new born again spirit are speaking. Mm -hmm. John 3.3. 3. What does John 3.3 3 say? 
He said, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So the new birth is essential for entering into the kingdom of God. And 1 Corinthians 14, 4 says, If I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfaithful, unfruitful. Excuse me. Our born-again spirits have the mind of Christ. We have to educate them because pastor always said they are not educated. We have to educate them. So that's why speaking in tongues is essential. When we are praying in tongues, we are tuning our minds to a spiritual being up there. We edify ourselves. So before salvation, our spirits were part of us that was dead in trespasses and sin, like Ephesians 2 1 says. And when we receive the Spirit of the when we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have a supernatural communication with God. That's what I love about that. Nobody can take that away from us. So when, however, we again as believers. We have to ask for what we, knew, we, we want. We have to pray continually. We can't just be saying we are saved and we are not doing our share as believers. And Joel 2, 20 and 29 said that. Point number three, Acts 2, 4. The other tongue that these disciples spoke were tongues other than their own. They had not learned it before. In other words, I did not learn Spanish. Or I did not, no, it was something totally different. Those, exactly, those tongues were different than the tongues that Paul was given instruction in 1 Corinthians 12, 14. In 1 Corinthians 12, 14. In that, they were known as languages. The two kinds of tongues, in, in, the two kinds of speaking in tongues are, are very clearly in 1 Corinthians 13, 1. They are called tongues of men and tongues of angels. So the tongues of men are known language like the disciples spoke in here. The tongues of angel or heavenly language are the tongues that all spirit-filled believers can speak in. That is what Paul was speaking about in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. These are the only examples of speaking in known language that is recorded in the Bible. The other instances of tongue speaking, which sometimes can very, get very confusing sometimes. A lot of people get confused when we talk about tongues. A lot of people get confused when we speak about the Holy Ghost. And sometimes a Sunday morning coming and speak about it doesn't do justice to that explanation. It does not do. It's a whole teaching. I remember when Pastor did a whole month's teaching about the Holy Ghost. That was, I think, a couple of years ago. Point number four for Acts 2.4. The speaking tongues was not as many had envisioned it. The Holy Spirit did not take possession of the disciple to the point that they had no control. Paul made a special point of that in the letter to the Corinthians, right? How the gift should be properly administered. He told the Corinthians to control themselves and if they were to speak in tongues, they need an interpreter. So there's no way somebody says, I can't control myself when I'm speaking in tongues. No, you can. You can. The gift of speaking in tongues is no different than the ministry listed in Ephesians 4.11. You remember? And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. 
It's no difference. So the Holy Spirit inspires and anoints each one of us to do the working of the Holy Spirit. And it's simply because of Acts 2. Simply because of that. And so we need to understand there is so much relevance when we talk about Acts 2 that sometimes we take it for granted. Okay, it's Acts, 20, Acts 2 and today's Pentecost is just a day. So, so let me just say, hey, happy Pentecost or welcome to Pentecost Sunday. It's more than that. It's so much in depth than just walking into church and saying Pentecost Sunday. It's so much more than that than saying this is Pentecost Sunday. And so if we fail to understand the truth that has occurred, many people will fail in knowing what the true meaning of the church is all about. So in those last days, it's important for us to understand and for us to speak in tongues. I know some churches do not speak in tongues. But I, you, Paul said that he speaks in tongues more than you can even imagine. I see Elder Brenda coming and she's speaking in tongues. When I'm upset on my job, I speak in tongues. They may be thinking I'm crazy, but I'm speaking because I don't know how to, Lord God, guide me. You know, guide me. I don't want to say anything out of turn. So Lord, guide me, so I'm speaking. Because I know he understands my frustration. He understands what I'm going through. Yes. So in the last days, it's very important that every believer speak in tongues, especially in your private time of prayer. Because the Bible says speaking in tongues edifies ourselves. If we turn to 1 Corinthians 14.4, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. So if you're prophesying in church, or if you're speaking in tongues in church loud, we want to have an interpretation of what's going on. Yes. The word edifies means the act of building, the promotion of spiritual growth. And also, let's look at 1 Corinthians 14:2. He said, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, how being in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. So when we speak in tongues, we speak mysteries. And so sometimes when we speak in tongues, a lot of times when I remember pastor say we have to speak in tongues when we come here, we speak in tongues when we do, when we pray. And some people that come sometimes for prayer meeting look at us crazy, but we are edifying ourselves. And it is so important as believers, it's a simple process, just ask God. It's nothing I have to whisper in your ears about, I'm not the Holy Spirit. It's you asking the Holy Spirit to help you to do that. There are so many benefits of speaking in tongues. And speaking in tongues confuses the enemy. He don't know what is going on. What are you doing? He don't know what. Speaking in tongues build your spirit, man. Yes. And you're, you speak directly to God. And you speak mysteries that only God understands. And as I close, I'm not going to be long. As I close, let me just say that the spirit of God dwells in each one of us. And all we have to do is ask him, the Holy Spirit. He's here. And that's what is so important on that day of Pentecost. That's when the church was formed. And let me tell you something so significant. Because if we go in verse 5, I believe, I think it's not in my notes. But um, Acts um, 2.5. They said that they gathered from everywhere. 
the different places that they talked about from the north, from the southern, from the east, from the west. All he wanted was a united people to come together. You see, God is always in the, in the, in the business of unity. He's always in the business of making sure that we are in one accord. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. You see, we cannot be in one accord if we are bickering and fighting with each other. We have to be united and we have to be in one accord for the purpose of what? Soul, soul winning. And so it's important that as believers, we are united in one spirit. We are united because we are children of God. And so there is so much confusion because when we meet our brothers and sisters down the street that goes to a Baptist church, we don't want to talk to them. Why? Because they do not go to imitators of God ministry. That's not so. We are all children of God. And because we are all children of God, we have people on the French town that right now is in church doing the same thing that we are doing. They have the same purpose and they have the same mind. Of course, we have to be guided about false doctrines. Please take time to meditate on the word and let it sink into your heart and soul and mind today. Knowing that the Christian who meditates on the word will be like a tree planted by the water, bringing forth fruit in its season and prospering in all that he does. But what if you aren't a Christian today? What if you don't know if you're bound for heaven as a forgiven child of God? If that's you, then let's take care of it right now if you're ready. Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? Are you ready to be forgiven of your sins and washed clean and made new? Are you ready to begin your new life in Christ? Then turn to God right now and say, Lord, I love you. I need you. I repent of my sins. Lord, please forgive me and wash me clean. I receive your forgiveness right now as I put my faith in Jesus as my Savior. God, please lead me and teach me and show me how to live from now on. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And if you're looking for a good church family, you'll be welcomed with open arms at Imitators of God Ministries, Colossal Vivacious Church in Tallahassee, located at 4750 Capital Circle Southeast near Tram Road. Sunday school begins for all ages at 10 a.m. and the morning service begins at 11. And the Wednesday evening service begins at 7. This is a life-giving, multicultural, multi-generational church where people of all races, backgrounds, and walks of life come together to worship, to be inspired in their love for God, to develop relationships, and to be empowered to live out God's purpose for their lives. Find more information on their website, imitatorsofgodministries.com, or call the church, 850-408-8496.